This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. The North American Car of the Year jury has announced the contenders for the 2022 North American Car, Truck, and Utility of the Year, and we'll tell you all about them. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague back with us. Thanks so much for being back with us, Chris. I know we had a little technical difficulty uh, last time around that prevented you from being with us, but uh, I'm so glad you're back with us. Yeah, really lucky to be able to work from home, but that only really works when the internet is here. So I'm glad to be back online. Yeah, and uh, speaking of that, I know uh, Driving Today, our sister website, had some uh, little furbles over the uh, course of the last week. So we apologize for that. And it, it might have delayed you receiving your latest episode of America on the Road. So we apologize for that as well. We, <laughs> we're putting them out on a regular basis, but sometimes technical gremlins get in the way. So uh, we apologize for that. This week, our special guest is Vishnu Jayaman. He is the Nissan product planner. He'll be talking about the all-new 2022 Nissan Pathfinder, certainly a contender for Utility of the Year, North American Utility of the Year. He's also vehicle line manager for that vehicle. He's in charge of it. So I got a chance to talk with him in depth about the new uh, SUV at a recent event up in Montana. Got snowed on a little bit. It was interesting. Uh, but in any case, we will chat with him later in the show. Uh, before that, Chris will take a look at a, an all-new vehicle. What are you going to be talking about, Chris? Well, it's the updated uh, 2021 Mazda CX-30 with a new powertrain to talk about. Absolutely. And I'm going to be talking about, a, in some ways, a similar vehicle, or maybe one step up in size, and that is the Ford Escape for 2021. And I think these might be among the last 2021s we'll be talking about on America on the Road before we go back to go uh, forward into talking about 2022s. So we have that going for us. I think you're right. Uh, starting to hit the market. We'll see uh, quite a few more in the next few weeks, I believe. So a uh, very exciting time. Absolutely. And speaking of 2022s, uh, the North American Car, Truck and Utility uh, Vehicle of the Year Awards uh, organization, which I happen to be vice president of, so I'm kind of cl close to this group, uh, has announced uh, the Contenders for those three very prestigious awards, there are a total of 38 cars, trucks, and utility vehicles that are eligible for the 2022 awards. So we're going to see 12 all-new or substantially new cars, eight all-new trucks, pretty new trucks. Some of them aren't completely new. Trucks, we kind of broaden the, the base a little bit. And then 18 utility vehicles uh, that meet the eligibility requirements. So that's a lot. There are electric and hybrid vehicles, uh, including full battery vehicles, across all of three categories. So that's interesting. And we're also going to see vehicles from some startups, from Lucid Motors, from Karma, from Rivian. I think it's going to be a fascinating uh, bunch of vehicles. Uh, what do you think this uh, latest field, uh, the 2022s, are going to be like, Chris? I am intensely excited about seeing what you guys come up with for the EVs, specifically Rivian 
you mentioned the new Karma uh, vehicle and then some of the others. I'm very, very excited to see where, where you guys land on that. Also, it's interesting because this is one of the first years, or if not the first year, that we'll see a hybrid pickup truck in the mix and then some other vehicles as well. So I think 2022 is going to be um, an, an interesting year for vehicle rankings, as it is every year, but especially because of the new EVs and the, the hybrids that we're seeing at the market. Yeah, with new manufacturers involved, that's always fascinating. And it'll always be interesting to see how they're able to deal with the automotive press uh, just on a kind of uh, logistical basis, uh, dealing with us and uh, getting us cars that we can drive because they're, I think there's some real uh, potential winners among them. Uh, certainly, I'm fascinated to drive them. And of course, all 50 members of the jury uh, drive all of the cars and uh, get a good idea of what, what is going out there. This is essentially the first step in, in the awards process. Uh, we start with a preliminary vote uh, in September uh, that then narrows the field. And then we uh, go to uh, right outside Detroit to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and we do a comparison drive of those contenders, uh, a narrowed list, um, and then we do some voting after that. So uh, it's a very involved process, uh, a very interesting process, I think, that involves 50 experts on the various cars, utilities, and trucks of the year. And uh, I think it comes to a, a generally good result. But some really, really fascinating stuff that we're going to see. We're inviting the te uh, Tesla Cybertruck, the Rivian uh, R1T among them. So... Uh, and, of course, the Ford Maverick that we talked about in a show a couple of weeks ago. So uh, just a lot going on, of course, in the auto industry. Here's another thing I'd put in front of you, Chris. And uh, we've talked about this a little bit. But because of the number of utilities here, uh, I think the utility category is the most important category. And I think utilities are essentially our cars of today, right? I mean, they're sedans are more specialty vehicles, and the basic transportation cars now, I think, are utilities. What's your take on that? I totally agree, and we'll talk more about this in the next segment with the CX-30, you know, vehicles like that on the small end of the spectrum. We don't have so many hatchbacks anymore, but we are seeing these slightly lifted uh, subcompact and, com sub and compact crossovers. So as you said, it's a, of growing importance, but, you know, more to the point, I think, you know, 2022 is shaping up to be a good year for car buyers with all the, the choice that's that's on the market now but uh but absolutely to agree with with your point they are uh the most important if not uh one of the most important segments in, in the on the market well and i think you make a good point too there has always been a a truism in the american uh, car industry that americans don't buy hatchbacks and that is largely true about hatchback cars quote unquote uh, but it is absolutely untrue, right, about what is the basic car. Because the basic car, if the basic uh, transportation device is now a crossover, they're all hatchbacks, right? I mean, <laughs> virtually all of them are hatchbacks. So it's interesting that uh, something that uh, the American market has um, typically turned its nose up at turns out to be the mainstream vehicle uh, that we're seeing around the, the entire country. Yeah, and the funny thing is the only difference between some of these crossovers and an actual quote-unquote hatchback is marketing, right? I mean, there's really not a whole lot of difference between them. So um, interesting shift. Absolutely, and you're going to be talking about one of those, I have a feeling, <laughs> in the upcoming segment. Uh, and we'll get into that a little deeper because when we come back, 
uh, we're going to be doing our road test segment, and I'm going to be looking at the Ford Escape Compact Crossover Utility. Yes, it's got a hatch in the back. And Chris will be talking about the 2021 Mazda CX-30, yet another crossover utility. So stay with us for that. Uh, with Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. Jack Nerad back with you. And it is road test time on America on the Road, one of our favorite segments. I believe it is Chris Teague's favorite segment. I'd say it's right up there with me, too. I love road testing vehicles, and I think it's a privilege. I think you do, too, Chris. And uh, we look at it that way. It's a privilege to talk to you in the audience about it. So thanks for listening and caring about what we have to say about these vehicles. Chris, you had a a vehicle I like a lot uh, that many people probably don't quite understand. So why don't you tell us a bit about it? I liked it a lot, too. And we talked about the CX-30 last year. Uh, I reviewed one with the... Uh, than its first year on the market with its 2.5 liter uh, powertrain. But Mazda made an update for 2021 and gave it a turbocharged uh, engine, which brings uh, about 70 more, almost 70 more horsepower and quite a bit more torque. And I have to tell you what a difference the new powertrain makes. It's a, It feels like a completely new vehicle, uh, even though it's largely the same inside and out otherwise. Uh, but, you know, th- that extra power makes a big difference in driving around town, reaching highway speeds, passing, and it's kind of pleasing noise too, you know, like we, you think about a growly V6 or a V8 when you're accelerating in a sports car, but Mazda has done such a good job uh, tuning the the engine in this vehicle. It's throaty, it's deep. I mean, it really does make a good case for the CX-30 as a hot hatchback. What do you think, Jack? I absolutely think so. And hot hatchback might be more to the point than crossover utility, because I think uh, where it might fall down is in utility, but in terms of a, a vehicle that you want to drive and have fun with, I mean, the CX-30 with the turbo is is right there, uh, way up on my list as a, a small car I'd like to drive. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to the point about utility, uh, it, it's not huge, but I was able to, uh, so we took it to the local home improvement store. I'm digging a patio in the backyard here and was able to pick up sand and rocks and pavers and get most of, well, about half of what I needed in one trip before it felt like I was overloading it. So uh, plenty of room for what it is, I think. And, uh, you know, I don't often talk about things like steering and braking feel in the vehicles that I test because most of them are vehicles that people in a family would buy. And you don't really you know, think about steering feel and, and acceleration and braking when you're driving a family SUV. But Mazda's really nailed it here. They've got such a, a precise steering, first of all, but also the feeling that, like the sensation and then the the feedback that you get, uh, is really really sports car like, and it's something that surprised me. And inside, you know, this is a premium vehicle. Mazda's done such a good job moving their vehicles uh, kind of into the upscale segment of the the mainstream. And uh, I tested the um, Turbo Premium Plus trim, which is the very top level of the CX30, and it's just over 35 grand all in. But this brought leather interior, leather steering wheel, leather shift knob, heated seats, heated steering wheel, the whole, the whole deal, uh, as well as plenty of safety equipment, too. But uh, one quibble or one complaint that I have with the, in, the interior is the infotainment screen, um, which is not too far away because it's a small vehicle, obviously. But it's mounted in a sort of a, an indention into the dash, and it sits to the point where the dash kind of blocks the screen at some, some angles. Um, and here's where I tell you how tall I am, but at six feet tall, even I had trouble kind of seeing over the dash and, and hitting the hole 
infotainment screen. And uh, without a touchscreen, there are some some issues with the controller. But I think over time you would get used to that. And uh, you know, you me testing it for a week isn't a great indication of what someone would think after you know six months of using it. But it strikes me that they they place the screen almost intentionally where you can't touch it, <laughs> right? I mean, it seems pretty far away and uh, seems remote. I, I am not six feet tall. I'm 5'11", uh, so I'm shorter than you are. Uh, we've established that. But uh, it, it struck me that that screen's pretty far away, uh, and maybe that's intentional. Yeah, I mean, it is remote. I wish it was a little bit higher mounted on the dash for better visibility, but, uh, you know, that, the rotary knob, you get used to it. But overall, enough room for two kids in the back. I wouldn't buy this as my primary family hauler. If I had three kids, I might go for the CX-5 or something larger. Um, but all around, a fun-to-drive, good-looking car, great tech, and a comfortable interior. So uh, if you're looking for a hatchback but can't bring yourself to buy a hatchback, this is the, the one for you. Yeah, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find hatchbacks to buy these days, too. <laughs> and uh, the, absolutely, it, it certainly is like a hatchback. And um, my sense is, it's it, in a lot of ways, its competition is the Mazda 3, or the Mazda 3 hatchback is uh, like a logical alternative uh, to it that maybe is a, a bit roomier uh, than the CX-30. But uh, we digress. I guess we're talking about cars, so that isn't a digression. Uh, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's talking about the 2021 Ford Escape, uh, which is the vehicle I'm reviewing. And the Ford Escape, I think, is kind of undersung, which is hard to say about a vehicle that is very popular, sells in uh, very large numbers. But I don't think it gets much respect from car reviewers out there, uh, is my sense. And I think it deserves more than it gets. This, of course, is smack dab in the middle of the most popular segment in the U.S. market. It's a five-passenger crossover utility. It's a compact crossover utility, and it competes with vehicles that you've undoubtedly heard of, like the Honda CRV, the Nissan Rogue, and the Toyota RAV4. Uh, those are the most prominent among them. Um, and then it's got a uh, kind of a brother or sister car, a sibling car, the Ford Bronco Sport that uh, basically rides on a, a very similar platform and uses the same engines. One of the things interesting about the Escape is the power plants that it offers. Typically, you're going to see a four-cylinder engine power virtually all of these vehicles. And the edge doesn't go there, at least to begin with. It starts with a turbocharged three-cylinder engine. That's the base engine. Uh, the engine in the vehicle I was driving is a four-cylinder, but also turbocharged and 250 horsepower. In fact, uh, in some ways, almost a clone of the engine in the CX-30, uh, at least in terms of the output and, and the size and all of that stuff. Uh, so, and it, with 250 horsepower in a vehicle this size, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you're talking about the fun of driving the CX-30. I had a great deal of fun driving this Escape with uh, with that kind of power. And you can also get a couple of hybrid powertrains. You can get a quote-unquote conventional hybrid powertrain or a plug-in hybrid. Uh, so that's available and a, you know, just a bunch of stuff. It's available in a bunch of different configurations. Uh, you can get it in Ford, uh, front drive, which is standard. When you get the 2.0 liter four-cylinder that I had, you get all-wheel drive. It comes with all-wheel drive. I think that's one of the ways to get all that power and torque to the road. So that's, that's nice to have that all-wheel drive. And it's not really expensive. Uh, base price is about $25,000. If you go to the full boat, 
titanium trim plug-in hybrid with all kinds of leather interior and all kinds of stuff. It's $38,000, and you probably don't want to go there, frankly. I think something in the mid-range, like a, an SE or an SEL trim, you're going to get what you want. Uh, it's got plenty of cargo space, 37.5 cubic feet of cargo space behind the rear seat. Uh, that might that number might not mean a ton to you, but that's a lot of space. That's like two, con, uh, two or three conventional uh, sedan trunks <laughs> worth of space. Uh, if you drop the, the rear seat down, you get 65 cubic feet of space. And interestingly enough, if you get a hybrid, you get less space. Uh, it cuts into the cargo space a little bit. You can get the uh, hands-free lift gate, which we like. You kind of waggle your foot and the lift gate goes up, so that's a good thing. It has the Ford Copilot 360 suite of safety technologies. So that's good. It's a, a laundry list of, of pretty good stuff. And actually, in, in some trims, it can almost drive itself, at least drive itself in, in very um, limited kind of situations. But it's a fun-to-drive vehicle. I mean, plenty of power. I wouldn't say it was exactly suspended or designed for performance. But in the configuration I had, I think it was a lot of fun. What, what's your take? I'm, I'm babbling on about this, Chris. What's your take on the uh, Escape? I could listen to you babble all day. Um, well, I appreciate that. Thanks for lying. <laughs> I've driven a few versions of the the newest Escape. I drove it on the launch back in uh, late 2019, and uh, we drove the three-cylinder version. I have to say that I think it's got around 180, 181 horsepower, something like that. Um, it's a buzzy engine, and it actually, you know, it's more powerful and more fun to drive than you think. Though the 250 horsepower 2.0 liter four-cylinder with the, you know the turbocharger is a much better choice if you're looking for you know better acceleration. But I totally agree with your assessment on the pricing and the value. Right in the mid-range of the, the Escape lineup, you get great infotainment. Ford Sync is uh, very easy to use. It's colorful. It's easy to navigate. The interior is spacious more so than before. It's comfortable. The back seat's great for children. Uh, they have plenty of room to stretch out with their feet and, and car seats. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the, the Escape doesn't match uh, the RAV4 and some others on cargo space, but there's still plenty of room and there's more than in previous generations of the Escape. So um, all around, I do think it is, as you said, overlooked, but it shouldn't be. And so I would say people should take a, a gander at the Ford Escape. Like I say, uh, I think it's it's well-priced. I think there's some pretty cool stuff, uh, you know, the self-driving. Maybe I should uh, describe that just a little bit more. What it uses is adaptive cruise control and lane centering. That lets it brake, it lets it accelerate, and it can steer around corners. What it doesn't do is steer around stuff. Uh, it won't you know, pass another car for you or anything like that. But if the road is bending, it will bend with it because it's reading the lane markings. So, I mean, that's level two autonomy, uh, not, uh, not full autonomy and a long way from it. But it's a nice little helpful uh, little gadget to have uh, aboard, and it's, it's not expensive. I agree, and it's easy to use, too, so can't beat it. I think it came in a package that costs about 850 bucks or something like that, so that strikes me as a very good expenditure. And I think, as tested, this vehicle was something like $34,000-$35,000 in terms of the suggested retail price. So I think quite a value. So I think we're, we're talking about two value cars here with hatches in the back. When we come back, we'll be taking your listener questions. So look for that. Chris and I have been studying up on your listener questions, and we'll answer some of them when we come back. So stay with us right here on America on the Road. 
Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jackie Red back with you. And we're so thankful you're with us. We really appreciate the chance to speak with you. Uh, it's a privilege for us. And uh, we're so glad that Chris is back with us after uh, one week uh, in technical hell. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> but uh, he has surfaced from there. Uh, maybe it's just technical purgatory because he came back. Uh, but in any case, we have listener questions for you. And if you want to reach us with a listener question, Info at drivingtoday.com or editor at drivingtoday.com are the two places you can send us questions. Editor at drivingtoday.com is probably the best place to send them. And uh, we'll try to answer your question on an upcoming show. Here is a question from Billy. Billy in Virginia Beach asks or says, I need a car for six months in another city across the country. Should I rent one? Should I ship my car? Should I subscribe to a car uh, a car service or something? What what should I do? What's your take on that, Chris? I think there are probably more than there's probably more than one right answer here, but I'll say that it depends. It'll depend a lot on how far from your home you're going to be moving or staying for that six month period. Depends on if you're still paying for your current vehicle monthly payments there. It'll depend on your budget too, right? So. Um, let's say if I'm in Maine and I need to go work in Boston for six months, uh, I might drive there. But if I were going to Texas for six months, I would need a vehicle. And, uh, you know, if you're renting a car, if you think about it, even the cheapest car is still going to be what Jack $30 a day, something like that after, after taxes and fees. So you're looking at what a thousand dollars a month, usually somewhere around there. Um, several car makers offer, as you mentioned, subscription services. Again, they are about a thousand dollars a month. In a lot of cases, I think Audi's is about $9.95, uh, but that includes maintenance and uh, and uh, insurance as well. Now, if you wanted to ship your car, you would also have to take into account the destination or the distance. Um, you know, it could be $1,000 or more to ship your car, depending on where you're sending it. And then if you don't want to ship your car, are you still paying for it? So as I mentioned, about $1,000 to rent or lease or short-term lease a car. Uh, if you're still paying three, four, five hundred dollars a month for the car you already own, that really could add up. And then finally, I would ask, where are you moving? Do you need a car at all? Right? If you're going to a large city, how is the public transit? Do you even need to have a car there, uh, or will it just be a hassle or a liability if you have to park it on the street and make sure it doesn't get towed uh, or banged up? We have a saying around here that's you know funny. People park their car in downtown Boston. You know, you have the Boston package on your car, so you have scrapes and bangs and bumper holes and and things that you're not going to want to deal with with a rental car. So, uh, a lot of those things are are what are things to think about. But again, it will depend on where you're going and and what your current situation is with the vehicle you already have. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question, and, and those are very good answers, Chris. And and, and this is uh, some things I would add to it. I mean, subscription services were supposed to take care of this problem or this opportunity this business opportunity. And the fact of the matter is the current subscription plans really don't. <laughs> they just, maybe there's a few out there where you could rent uh, or essentially subscribe to a car for a short, shorter period of time than a year and have it be some kind of reasonable amount of money. Uh, but in this case, most often it's, it's just not available for you. If I were in this particular situation, I think what I would look to do is get a long-term rental rate from an established rental car company if I absolutely determined that I needed a car. And you offer good advice. Maybe you don't need a car every day. Maybe you just need a car two or three times a week, something like that. Maybe there are other ways to get to uh, your uh, 
place of business in this new city. So there are opportunities out there. I don't think subscription is the way to do it. I think shipping your car is going to be very, very expensive to do. Uh, having your own car obviously is a good thing and you're already paying for your car. So if you end up paying for two cars in two different places, that isn't great either. But uh, it's it's a conundrum really. And uh, like you say, the answer depends. But hopefully we've helped Billy a little bit, uh, at least understanding and what not to do. And that's probably look at subscription services that probably won't be much of a help. <laughs> I think the cost adds up either way, but you're right. I, I would probably steer clear of subscription if I could help it. So that's the answer for Billy in Virginia Beach, and we're, we're, we're hopeful it's helpful. Our next question uh, has to do with car leases, Jack. Uh, this person is asking, they've seen different lease prices. So they see a, a low down payment with a little bit higher monthly uh, payments, and then a high down payment with a lower uh, monthly payment. What's your take on that and which one might be the best deal? Well, it's a good question. And I have seen, and I, I track deals all the time. That's one of the things I do and one of the things I write about a lot. And one of the things I've noted is there are a lot of deals where you have a big upfront payment on a lease and then you have a eye-poppingly low monthly payment, you know, something like $150 or $250 or $249 or something like that. Something that, you know, gets your attention. Wow. But then when you look at the fact that maybe you have to put down or put up, because it's not really a down payment, you have to pay out in advance $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 uh, to get that low payment, I'd say do the math. One of the things you have to keep in mind with a lease is the upfront payment is not like the down payment on a vehicle you buy. The down payment on a vehicle you buy gets you equity in that vehicle. It's you're, you're paying for something. On a lease, you're basically prepaying lease payments, but you get no equity in the vehicle at all, and it's a big upfront payment. Uh, I would at least divide that over the number of payments uh, to kind of understand a little better what the overall payment is per month. I would look at it that way versus, versus thinking, oh, look, it, it's only XXX a month. You know, I write this big check and then, <laughs> then I have a low payment. Maybe that fits into your budget well, but uh, I, I question the financial wisdom of that. What's your take? Yeah, I continue, and I think I may have said this, but I continue to believe uh, that leases have a narrow narrow band of, of people for which they are, you know, probably very useful. Uh, but I do agree, you know, if you're going to make a payment on something, I, I would kind of like to own it at the end of the process. But you know, the, the small print of leases is, you know, you have mileage limits and things like that. So it's not just the, the price that you're paying every month that you need to be aware of. But, you know, you see those, the ads on TV, they, they splash the 199 lease up there. And then the tall, the smallest print possible, you know, $4,738 due at signing with a 500 mile a month limit or whatever. But, um, you know, it's just pay attention to what you're getting. And as you said, do the math. If you, you know, you have a three-year lease and the mileage limits suit your lifestyle, that's fine. But if the prices don't line up, you may be better off buying the car or, or you know, some other option. But uh, it's all about the, the end cost, not necessarily the monthly payment. Yeah, I think that is very, very good advice. And I agree with you. I think uh, leasing from a financial point of view uh, has a very <laughs> limited, uh, limited audience where it's a, a good deal for them. And a lot of people would be better off buying. Leasing also limits you in a lot of ways that buying a vehicle doesn't. It's harder to get out of a lease than sell a car that you're, you're making payments on, for example. 
So all of those things, it's not like we're taking off after leases. There's, for some people, a lease is a, is a good thing. And for dealers, it's a very good thing because it helps them move cars uh, that they otherwise might not sell. So I can see why they would promote them. So I would say uh, do your financial math uh, before you dive into something. And don't just look at a low monthly payment and think that makes a, a vehicle a good deal. Absolutely agree. And when we come back, uh, we'll be speaking with our special guest, whose name is Vishnu Jayaman. He is the Nissan product planner. He'll be talking about the 2022 Nissan Pathfinder. I got a chance to catch up with him on in the wilds of Montana. And we talked about the all-new vehicle that I tested up there. Uh, dodged some snowflakes, had some fun with it. Uh, dodged some snowflakes, even though <laughs> summer was almost upon us. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Stay with us. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. This is Jack Nerad with you. And uh, we are on location. We're on location somewhere outside Missoula, Montana, uh, off in the... Uh, the Wilds, test driving the 2022 Nissan Pathfinder, and with me is the absolute expert on that vehicle. And his name is Vishnu Jayaman, and he is Senior Manager of SUV and Sedan Product Strategy for Nissan North America. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Jack. Yeah, you're kind of having me here in this uh, wonderful place, but uh, tell us what consumers should know about the Nissan Pathfinder. You, you've changed the vehicle remarkably. It's an all-new Pathfinder. Give us the, the high hard ones about it first. Yeah, certainly a bit more revolutionary and evolutionary, I would say, on, on this go around. The biggest thing is we listened to them and we evolved in three key areas. One is we, we call it return to rugged, and that's not just a look, but also in capability. The second is in how they use the vehicle. Three rows is a need, uh, not a want. And so it needs to have the practicality that they need and with that, uh, with that seating option. And the third is the connectivity. So uh, obviously we're a lot more digital, uh, more digital age, and so we're adapting to that and uh, giving you everything from almost three feet of screen real estate to six USB ports and whatever else you need. Well, let's dive into all of those things. Uh, is there one of those three things that you think is uh, more important than the other three? Because uh, we can start with that, or uh, if not, we'll just dive in in order. I say we dive in in order. How about that? Okay. Well, uh, go through the first one with us. You know, what, what did you do with this vehicle that the previous edition didn't have based on what was delivered in terms of consumer desires? Absolutely. So there's a huge, there was, in our research we found there was a huge movement talking to the customers towards this idea of wanting to have a rugged image. Basically, you're somebody that maybe perhaps wants to own a truck or, uh, or, or did own a truck, but now you have a family, and it's a family need that, uh, that means you have to have three rows. Uh, so that extends to how we style the vehicle. Uh, a lot more upright, a lot more boxier. Uh, it's actually a shade shorter, uh, but taller as well, so really playing into... So was there a sense that people, uh, that these vehicles were getting too domesticated, too suburban, and, and less rugged off-roady yeah i think that's a pretty pretty fair way to characterize that yeah. i think you've got a lot of choices out there it's a good segment it's a competitive segment but a lot of choices out there that tend to give you a lot of on-road type feel and uh image but perhaps lack that more than a suburban mall find kind of right. feel to people it. mover kind of thing yeah yeah 
And you did some things with space, even though this vehicle's a little bit shorter. It's like two or three inches shorter. Barely, minimum, less minimum than an inch shorter, shorter, really, yeah. Yeah, and, oh, less than an inch shorter. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, of course, um, but you made the cargo compartment wider, for example. And yeah, and actually, it's got ample. 10 cubic feet more space, so it's really better, much, much better packaging. Uh, you've got a cargo compartment, for example, right, that is now can accommodate four-foot-wide building material. And so I don't mean you put it at a diagonal and, you know, you snap your yeah, sheetrock in half yeah, on, right, on the way right. home. No, it lies flat, which means you can stack pl- sheets of plywood, sheets of sheetrock, whatever you need on top, and really use the vehicle as your DIY home base or whatever you need to do. Behind the third row, we made sure it could fit a 120-quart cooler. No excuses. You don't need to take any luggage boards out, nothing crazy. Uh, so uh, six TSA carry-ons will fit back there. So it's definitely, again, talk to the people that use it, really, and find out how they're using it. So a family uh, can certainly travel with a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, use all three rows, and there's still room behind the third row. That's pretty important because a lot of times that space behind the third row gets to be a little bit of an afterthought. It's pretty small and, and not very usable in a lot of these vehicles. Exactly. You're making an airport run, and you're bringing six people with you. Their luggage has to go somewhere. So absolutely, that's a key, key, key requirement. Yeah. And if you're traveling, you're doing road trips, and heaven knows people are doing road trips again. This absolutely. Time. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a bit about interior accommodations. Three-row vehicle, that's a given, mm-hmm. right? A, a very critical to people. I've been there. I've got a, I'm the father of a family of five. Okay. I, I know all about three-row vehicles. Yeah. It's been required in the NERAD household for the last 20 years or so. <laughs> and it's not necessarily because you have that many kids, but you have <laughs> your kids collect other kids, right? They uh, collect yeah. other kids. They collect other stuff. And... Uh, I think even versus probably 20, 30 years ago, there seems to be more stuff and widgets to bring along for those kids. So tell us a bit about the configurations, because there's various configurations, right? You can seat, I think, up to eight. Did I hear that That's correctly? That's correct, yep. yeah. So walk us through that, would you? Yeah. So first time for Pathfinder, we're doing a couple things. One is the seating capacity. As you nailed it, it was eight people instead of seven. Uh, that's because the third row can put three people in there now. It's also the first time we're offering captain's chairs. So you've got that seating option as well, in addition to a second row bench seat. But the big game changer on this car is, we call it easy flex uh, seating, but basically it's the idea that you can have a car seat in the second row in either side of those outboard positions and still access the third row because you push just an easy button, you push that, and this electrical release moves the whole seat up and out of the way, including the car seat. So that's a real game changer. Absolutely. And as the guy who probably has installed more car seats in vehicles than any other guy, because <laughs> I am that guy. I was Mr. Three Row at Kelly Blue Book for years and years and years. And with three kids, I was putting in car seats in cars on at least a weekly basis. Uh, that is a game changer. Making that happen is just awesome. And it really works. I, I tried it today. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, as somebody who has not installed as many car seats <laughs> as you, but has recently had to demonstrate and install several of them, I can attest to my detest for a 25-pound car seat and lugging it around and moving it around. So the ability to keep it in there is really our, uh, you know, it, it, and, it, and it came from a really interesting observation, just really going and seeing how people were using their, their vehicles at a daycare, for example. We actually went to a daycare facility and said, you know, love to see how you guys are using this. And the, uh, the inability to use the third row if you have <laughs> child seats installed kind of ruins the utility of the vehicle so it makes all the sense in the world uh one of the other things is really interesting that i think you've done is when 
captain's chairs are installed in the second row, you have a movable con a console. Talk a bit about that. Yeah, um, so, you know, captain's chairs idea is offers a little bit more comfort, right? A little bit more of a, a premium feel to it. Um, but that necessi necessitates that you want to have a center console there as well, right? Because we could have thrown those cup holders uh, on the back of the first co first row console, but then it's a bit of a reach. So what we did is we put this console in, but we made sure it's removable. So it's the only one in the segment that's pretty easy to remove. And what you do is you just grab it with one hand, you pull off an access panel, and then reach in there, push one button, and lift the whole thing out with just one hand. Probably weighs about uh, just less than 10 pounds, and you can store it in the underfloor storage uh, behind the third row. So it, it really has been thought out well to, to right. accommodate those. And needs. that underfloor storage uh, behind the, the uh, third row is really valuable, and you've upgraded that too. You had that feature before, but now you've upgraded that feature. Talk exactly, about yeah. That. What, and, and, and it becomes super valuable because, again, this idea of going out there, camping, rugged, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it means that you've got dirty hiking boots. It means that you might have sandy beach towels, and now that's a place you can put those things. It's a lot bigger because we removed the subwoofer that used to be in there. Um, but we've made it out of plastic, so it's very easy to clean. And it's got a self-supporting lid, so you're not kind of using one hand to balance it out while putting stuff in. Let's talk a bit about the ruggedness. I guess we got a little off track on that, but that's uh, <laughs> radio. We do that. You want this to have, a, I think, a, a more rugged image than the previous edition, right? And, and have more capability. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the way you, you get a better image mm -hmm. about the vehicle, right? T talk a bit about that and what you've done on yeah. that score. Yeah, uh, I think the best scene for this is really where we are today, right, Jack? It's uh, being here at Montana and... It's sort of how we, um, we've seen the customer envision them using it, right? It's this idea that they can go drive on that dirt path, on that rut-filled uh, road down to uh, the river or the creek and you know, have a day of fly fishing and, and camp out there. So how we've done that, um, they told us, the customers told us a couple of things. Uh, one is the image, but two, the capability, and that means the confidence. That's what that means to them. So, uh, for example, in the all-wheel drive system, we're, uh, we're a lot more predictive now. Instead of having to detect wheel slip and then move power back and forth, we've got a new direct coupling system in there that basically predictively moves the power around. So that instead of getting that slip for a split second, there's a lot more confidence. So how does it predict? I mean, that, when I heard the presentation this morning, I went, okay, how do they do that? that what, is what's a, happening? That's a, that's an excellent question, yeah. So it's taking a lot of different inputs, anything from uh, ABS wheel speed sensors to yaw to uh, what the prevailing conditions are, et cetera, and then kind of making that, that judgment. Um, and the second bit of it that really can you know, aid that predictiveness is you've got a uh, terrain mode dial. And so what that does is you can tell it, hey, I'm on sand, I'm in mud or rocks. So for example, if you're in sand, it'll loosen the VDC thresholds, allow you to get a little bit more slippage out of it so you can make sure that you don't get bogged down. And having that uh, gives it capability that the, I was around for the <laughs> introduction, I was at Motor Trend actually, uh, for the introduction of the first Pathfinder Fantastic. around 86 or so, right? And it was a pretty rugged vehicle. I had a a presence to it mm -hmm. that w was off-roady, mm -hmm. uh, uh, to use that term. And then it kind of mellowed out, as the whole segment did, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, But um, the goal here is to use technology as opposed to brute force and mechanical means. Talk a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, that first-gen Pathfinder, for example, uh, very rugged, um, and did it through the use of a body and frame, for example. Uh, but... It's those two worlds that collide, right, where we are today, because the flexibility versatility world collides with the rugged world if you try to just brute force it, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. So 
the unit body, the three row, we need to maintain that flexibility, that versatility, but we're using some of the technology to allow us to achieve that off-road capability vis-a-vis -vis the direct coupling. That's, well, I guess that's mechanical, but more so those terrain mode dials again, because majority of our customers, what you see today is probably about as off-road as it gets. I, I doubt that <laughs> many of them will do uh, some of the things we did in the off-road portion <laughs> today. Uh, it would just be too daunting for them, I think. And uh, people don't have, have the uh, desire to do that very yeah. much, which kind of raises a, a question for a product planner. Based on that, uh, based on the input that people want something more rugged, but at the same time that they never use that or rarely use that, then you have to balance off a bunch of things to arrive at what the product is, right? You have to balance off how much tech you put in. Talk a bit about that whole balancing act that you go through. Yeah, through. yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you know, if you want it to be, you know, if you're looking for, uh, you know, your, t your, your lingo is approach departure angles and breakover angles and so on, you're, this isn't uh, this isn't a Wrangler type uh, customer here. What we've got is somebody who, again, is going to that campsite, going to, going to, to that river to go fly fishing and they need something that just gives them confidence. So how do you deliver that? That's the key. So you've got to really look into how they're using the vehicle more so than, than necessarily looking around at other off-road vehicles or competitive set per se. Let's talk a bit about connectivity. That's one of the three, yeah, absolutely. three legs of the stool here and very, very important. It seems so critical. It seems as a car reviewer, I used to <laughs> review powertrain and, and all those kinds of things, suspension yeah. and, and those kind of setups. And, and now I'm reviewing infotainment systems, uh, number one. Talk a bit about what you found from the customer and how you've delivered for them. Yeah, well, I've seen the same thing in our world, right, Jack? Like, you know, 15 years ago, we would talk about uh, the powertrain spec or the handling, and now, 15 years later, we're paying just as much attention to the amperage on the USB ports, and that's a real thing. I mean, we made sure that when you, uh, we've got a three amp port out there, so you can not only charge, you know, the latest and greatest iPhone or Android phone, but you can even charge an iPad, for example, with it. So, because uh, we know everyone's, uh, the, we've, we've migrated away from the days of uh, bringing a, a DV, even a DVD into a rare entertainment system. And What's now a DVD? <laughs> Do you remember what DVDs are? <laughs> was, I think it was right there what next to 8-Track, I think, somewhere between 8-Track and Betamax. But, yeah, I mean, that, that, that you know, we, we need the ability for, for all kids and adults alike to be entertained in all three rows. And so connectivity can be anything from six USB ports to... Uh, the ability to, to do everything wirelessly. We have a wireless charger. We've got wireless CarPlay as an example. Uh, so so that's kind of where we've we've taken those innovations. Where did when did uh, integral entertainment systems go away? Was it three years ago? Was it five years ago? You know, because they essentially have gone away. There's some dinosaur products out there that still have two screens. You know, on the on the back of the front yeah. seats, but. Uh, G generally, the trend is, yeah, it's just, I would say you, you hit it spot on probably two to three years ago just because everybody's got an iPad or some sort of equivalent device, and everybody's, seems like everybody's uh, uh, children have their own source of entertainment off that, uh, and if it's streaming or whatever, and so we offer a Wi-Fi hotspot in case you want to stream them using the vehicle, but really they're bringing their own devices in. Our job is to make sure they have a place to store them and a place to charge them. A way to charge them. Talk about a bit about screens, because you've got a lot of screen space. <laughs> we've got uh, we've got a center display that's nine up to nine inches. We've got a full digital t uh, display right in front of you in your instrument cluster that's twelve inches, and then we've got a ten inch heads up display. And basically, between those three, you can mix and match various combinations and put 
navigation on the heads up or put it on the instrument cluster, or have it on the center screen, et cetera, et cetera. So lots of customization and it's really up to, uh, we leave it to the customer to, to what they want to do. Well, and having the directions in the head up display is a boon. I mean, it, it, it's so easy. I, I was following directions, driving out to a, a very beautiful mountain lake here uh, yeah. earlier today. And having that right in front of me, as opposed to having to refer to a screen or, or even on the dash, uh, it was just a, a boon. And, uh, you know, that's something you offer in full color. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes, makes it easy. What do you think about your connectivity or th that whole uh, area where you lead, right? I mean, versus competitors in the class. Yeah, so a couple areas. One is uh, one of the only, uh, only folks out there offering wireless CarPlay. We are uh, leading in terms of the number of USB ports we've got out there, but also in terms of, when we say connectivity, I'm probably going to bundle safety in there as well. The safety aspect's huge, particularly the, some of the driver assist systems. And so we offer, we're one of the only ones, actually the only one I believe in the class, to offer rear automatic emergency braking. And that's standard on every single Pathfinder. So not only are you covered in the front with forward emergency braking, you're covered on the sides with things like blind spot warning, or rear cross traffic alert, but you're covered in the rear with rear automatic emergency braking, and all that is standard on every single Pathfinder. Yeah, it's it's an amazing array and a really strong array, and I think Nissan was leading the charge in that. Now you see a, a lot of manufacturers offering their various arrays. Mm -hmm. How do you decide what's going to be standard and what will be an optional driver assist piece? How, how do you go about Oh, that's, those. that's the secret sauce there. Yeah, if I had to tell I, you, I wouldn't have a job. Yeah, I, I, I have to ask. You know, I have to no, ask. I mean, we obviously uh, we listen to customers and figure out what are the needs and what are the wants. I guess that's a, honestly a very simple way to put it. Um, and then there are some things that you're never going to get it 100% right because just people have different, uh, different wants. So, for example, captain's chairs. There are those that love them, and there are those that want a bench seat. And so it necessitates offering them on a package, and you say, hey, if you want it, you get it, and if you don't, well, you got this way to go. Right. Are, is one standard and the other optional at extra cost, or is it optional uh, at no cost? With kind of a mix. So uh, when you start off, you get the bench seat on the, on the bottom two grades, but then you can option the captain's chairs. And then when you get to the top grade, because the focus is more on premium and comfort, uh, you get the captain's chair standard on that one. As a family of five, I'm a bench seat guy. Oh, you're a bench Be seat guy. Yeah, because okay. you have to relegate... The third ah, okay. you know, sibling There's to one a, victim that, uh, goes, yeah, to the that back. goes to the back, okay. and you know it happened to be my middle daughter Emma all the time, <laughs> who was back there when I had those kind. Of, so to seat all three of them next to one another, it had its own challenges. I was going to say, I think that might have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, they were all kind of equal. Okay, you know. There was one in the center that wasn't necessarily prime position either, but uh, we're talking about family dynamics more than what's going on. Uh, before we uh, end the interview, tell me, uh, is there anything I missed that consumers should know about the 2022 Nissan Pathfinder? No, I think we've covered a lot of the high points. I think uh, I struggle because I'm, I, I guess, sort of, I guess, call me geeky nerdy sometimes, but I love to talk about some of the details, and uh, I wish we could, you know, it was easy to show some of those, but uh, you know, anything from that uh, that underfloor storage area, just the thoughtfulness that's put into that, to even where the rear HVAC controls are, we made sure those are on the back of the, the first heating row. ventilation. Yeah, and no, air conditioning. sorry, exactly yes. the back, the, the the AC controls, and the reason that they're down low is so that anybody can access them, even a even a kid, instead of putting them up on the roof. But that is a side effect too, because when 
some of our competitors put it up on the headliner, it means that the moonroof is now split into two pieces instead of one un uninterrupted piece of glass. So there's just a lot of thoughtfulness that has gone into the car. That new transmission, not only does it allow better driving experience, but also because it's now a shift by wire mechanism, which means it's got an electronic way to control it, right. it's given us this under console storage area where you can put anything from a diaper bag to a camera bag to, in my case, I put a Milwaukee hacksaw there because uh, I'm a tool guy. So, there you go. Yeah, uh, Milwaukee. Lots like of, yeah. lots of co cool storage options. Uh, great driving vehicle. And... Uh, or I'd love to yeah, get Yeah, I guess we should have talked about the engine a little bit. A V6 <laughs> engine with uh, plenty of horsepower, yeah, right? And, yeah. uh, and the nine-speed automatic transmission. Exactly, yeah. So the, the V6 is, is, is a proven motor. We've used it uh, on the outgoing car as well. And then the transmission's all new, new nine-speed uh, engine that really caters to that. There is one thing I missed, actually. I just realized. Thanks to, t thanks to you to reminding me about that transmission. Yeah, do what I can. The towing. The towing is a big, Important, big, big yeah. focus for this vehicle um, because, again, customer trend, right? One is the rugged, but two, towing and none of us could have predicted the meteoric rise in RV sales uh, thanks to COVID-19 last year. So it's become even more relevant. And the number is relevant because a lot of our competitors max out at 5,000. We do 6,000. That's not a meaningless number because the average weight of an RV trailer in the U.S. is 5,200 pounds, which we know means a little bit more once you put your stuff in it. So the ability to do 6,000 pounds, do so confidently, safely, is very, very important. And so that was a huge focus for us with this vehicle. Yeah, very, very strong. And a very a strong value pricing strategy, I think, too. I, it seems like across the lineup, uh, you're providing a lot of value. So all, all good. Well, Vishnu Jaman Han. Yeah, Vishnu Jaman, you got it. Jaman. Yeah, you do it better. <laughs> uh, Senior Manager of SUVs and Sedans at Nissan, thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for hosting me here, and uh, I hope you stay warm the rest of the week. Likewise, and thank you so, so much for coming out here and having me on the show. My pleasure. Thanks. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. And that was our interview with Vishnu Jaman of uh, Nissan talking about the 2022 Nissan Pathfinder. Really interesting vehicle. I think they're going to do well with it. Uh, they're checking all the boxes, I think, there. And a guy who checks all the boxes all the time for us is Chris Teague. We're so glad he's back with us uh, for this edition of America on the Road. Chris, uh, we're glad you joined us. I do pride myself in being a professional box checker, Jack, but thanks for having me and thanks everybody for listening. And uh, I will ask if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please go ahead and leave us a review. Uh, and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It'll help us continue to grow and bring more people along for the ride. Right. And if you're a box checker, maybe a second career at Amazon would be a good one working in the warehouse. <laughs> they do a lot of box checking there, I imagine. Thanks for being with us. We would love to have you uh, join us every week and subscribe to America on the Road. I'd also love it if you'd check out my book, The GR Factor, Unleashing the Undeniable Power of the Golden Rule. It's available at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and uh, local bookstores, so check that out. Again, thanks to Chris Teague for being with us. Uh, thanks to Mercury Insurance for helping to sponsor the show. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. We do appreciate it, and you're the reason we do what we do here on America on the Road. So please join us again next time on America on the Road. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com.